Yes, Daniel squared tonight. You're getting the, uh, the full double blessing of Daniel, team Pastor Daniel. So it's going to be fun. As uh, Daniel said earlier, Wes and Bethany have a new baby boy. He's healthy, pink, and uh, I'm sure crying some, and, but he's, he's here. So it's a joy to have that, which means I get to fill in and hang out with y'all for a little bit. And we're going to do a two-part series on leadership for the next couple Wednesdays. Now, I don't know about you, but right now, it kind of feels like the world is on fire, right? I mean, we're looking at what's going on in Israel, and I don't know if you've been on the stomach watching some of the videos, but it is just disturbing beyond belief. Words just fail us. We see how leaders have failed us, right? It's a failure of leadership, a failure of people who are not leading us in good directions, whether it be leaders leading people to war, or even spiritual leaders, or religious leaders, or Christian leaders have morally failed us. Leadership matters significantly. And we're going to talk about that in sort of a general way today. And um, I want us to kind of see how we all have that capacity to be a leader and how God wants to use us and encourage us. And, you know, the kind of people that we vote for, the kind of people we follow, the kind of people that impact our daily lives, these are our leaders. But we, we sometimes think of leaders as these these big, influential people, but in reality, everybody has a capacity to lead. And I want us to think about that today and what that looks like specifically for you guys. And you might be a grandparent, influence over your grandkids. You might be a parent, influence over your kids. You have to lead them and shepherd them. You might be over some ministry areas here at church and serving and leading through that particular area of service. Um, what about your workplace role? You might have a managerial role or be over some employees, but even if you're not over any employees, you still have the ability to influence and set an example and lead in various different capacities. And so thinking through our different roles that God has placed, maybe you have a community role where you serve and help out or have some influence. How can God use us where he's planted us to lead and have that kind of influence? And so we're going to ask some key questions about biblical leadership on the next two Wednesdays. What does it look like to really lead in a way that Scripture shows us to? And so we're going to be talking about that, making it personal, and really just diving in deep. Now, my goal is I really want to empower y'all. Many of y'all already serve as leaders. You're already serving as good parents, grandparents. You're leading those capacities. So I really want to encourage and affirm what you may already be doing. It's like, keep up the good work. And this might put words to maybe some discouragement that you have to know, hey, I'm on the right track. I'm going to keep at it. This matters to make this difference in this role that God has planted me in. But I also wanting to, to challenge y'all to step up in maybe some ways you haven't thought of as well into a new capacity, one that's unique to just you. Every one of us are different. God has made every single one of us different and unique, and the way you lead will also be unique as well. And so I want us to really consider these things. Now, uh, we're going to get a PowerPoint up here going here in a second. All right, these are some key questions we're going to be talking about. Now, we're not going to get through all of them today. We're going to get through about some of them. We're going to talk about why does leadership matter. We're going to talk about what does it mean to even lead. If we look at Scripture, what does it, what's a good definition? What does it mean to lead? How should I lead as a Christian? And we're going to actually spend the majority of our time on that question today. And then on next Wednesday, we'll dive in deep into what kinds of leadership does the Bible portray different styles and different examples? We'll look at different lessons, different uh, people from the Bible learned as they led that we can learn from them as well. Uh, before we go any deeper, let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for leading us. You've led us to still waters. You've led us through the valley, and you've led us to the cross. And you led us to the cross by your example. Lord, as we look at your scripture today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would tug on our heart, fill our hearts with comfort where they may be unease and struggle, fill our minds with your truth to know where we stand with you. God, we ask that you'd equip us to lead in the capacity that you have called us to do and that we would be faithful to the tasks that you've given us. No matter what stage or season of life that we're in, that we would honor you by leading in a way that mirrors your leadership in our own life. So God, we lift up your name and ask for you to lead us through your word tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to tell you a quick story as we tackle this first question. What is leadership? Why does leadership even matter? Okay. I just graduated college, and some of my young girls have probably heard me share this story a few times, so forgive me. Okay. I just graduated college, and I was going on a three-month short-term mission trip to Japan because my whole focus of my four years of college was to do youth ministry in Japan. That was my calling. I grew up there. I felt like God uniquely, uniquely equipped me to do and lead some things in Japan. So three-month mission trip over there, and it was just nonstop just pouring out, doing ministry 24-7, driving everywhere, doing ministry and doing all these kinds of crazy things. And um, it, it was a deeply challenging time. Awesome time, you know? I mean, I grew up in Japan, but I'm not that great at speaking Japanese. Let's be honest. I never was great at it. And so for me to engage in Japanese ministry, like it was a faith challenge for me, and I was stretched in some big ways. And so we had this whole three-month season of just pouring out, pouring out. And by the end of like the last couple of weeks, I was just spent. I was tired. I was worn out. And I was at a, like a, a Japanese camp for high schoolers, high BA camp, high school born-againers. You can tell that name was invented in the 70s. Um, and, you know, I, I just reached peak burnout. And at one point, Shinji Ishitsuka, who was like a mentor to me, a little bit older, and he, he brought me aside and he said, and he just noticed I had this bad attitude. Like I said, I was negative and cynical. I was like, what does that sound? We got a third screen going on here. Okay. And so he brought me aside and he said, Daniel, he had an accent, um, you know, Daniel, when leaders fail, everybody else fails too. I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I realized I was failing those campers in that high school camp by my demeanor, by my attitude, by my eyes don't really care right now because I'm just so tired and so burnt out. I was not giving them my best. I was not encouraging them like I should have been because I was empty myself. And I was depending upon my own reserves to do that. And it took a friend and a mentor to tell me and remind me when leaders fail, all those who follow them fail too in many times. And it's a sobering reality. And we can't blame failed leaders for us making wrong choices. We're not lemmings, obviously. But we see this in, in the book of Kings. You look at your notes, one of the first things we see there in the book of Chronicles and Kings, obviously, makes the point very clear that when Israel's king followed God, 
so did their people. And you see this pattern every time. If the king followed God, then the Israelites followed him too. And if the king did not honor God, did not follow God, it wasn't like everybody was like, oh, we're going to still do the right thing. We're still going to obey God. We're still going to do follow the commandments and worship correctly. And they're like, nah. You know? And it's like the famous quote from, remember the Titans, attitude reflect leadership, sir. Right? Attitude reflect leadership, sir. So we see this pattern in Chronicles in the book of Kings as well. Uh, let's look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. The Apostle Paul didn't really dance around this one at all. He was pretty straightforward about what he expected from the Corinthians, and he said similar things to other churches. Look what it says here right from the get-go. Follow my example. Key qualifier, as I follow the example of Christ. If I'm not following the example of Christ, then you most certainly should not follow me. Right? But Paul, confident in what, who God had called him to be, confident in his walk with God, said, I know I'm walking with God. I know I'm following Him. I know I'm pursuing Him. Take confidence in that. Follow me. Follow the things I He's not claiming to be perfect. Obviously, there's some qualifiers there. But as we think about the influence we have, can we say that to our grandkids, to our kids, to our coworkers? Follow me because I'm following Jesus. Or, I'll be honest, there's some days where I wish my church bumper sticker was not on my car. Okay? I'm just being real. All right? I wish there's some days that, <laughs> you know, that church bumper sticker was on my car because I can get a little aggressive on the streets. Okay? I get a little impatient sometimes. I just, confession's good for the soul. I'm getting it out there to you guys. Okay? Um, when it comes to stoplights, I have hurry syndrome. I always gauge which, which lane's going to go faster. And they even profile the cars like, oh, that looks like a faster car. I'm going to get behind them. Okay? So, I get it. There's sometimes we wish like, okay, I just want to like not have the stress and the anxiety of people having to imitate me, you know, and just be on all the time, okay? But that's a challenge that we, we've been called to do is can we say, follow me because I'm following Jesus? And that's, that's a tough thing to rise to. That's a, that's a goal we should reach for. And so we look at our, we go to the next slide here. Why does leadership matter? Leadership matters because we're either leading those we influence towards Christ or away from Him. That's why it matters. That's why it's important we understand what is at stake here. We're either leading people towards the goodness and the graciousness and the awesomeness of God, or we're actually pulling them away. There's no middle ground. Just like there's no middle ground with belief, like, well, you know, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I don't reject Him either. I'm just like, I'm just kind of, Neutral. I'm like Switzerland on this, okay? There's no Switzerland when it comes to leadership, okay? We're either with and leading towards Christ or we're pulling people away. And it sounds a bit extreme, but it's just the reality of it. Now, we may not be pulling people away in some drastic ways or obvious ways, but it's better to be proactive, right? It's better to be more aware of those things. 
So let's get to our next question, which is what does it even mean to lead? What does it mean to lead? I mean, when we talk about leadership, can we get some definitions on here? Well, in my research and trying to figure out what leadership is, I went to a great source and font of knowledge. We're talking about leadership, we're thinking about employers and workplace. So I went to Indeed.com. Okay, Indeed.com. Let's see what Indeed.com had to say about leadership. Leadership is this, according to Indeed.com. Leadership is the act of guiding a team or individual to achieve a certain goal through direction and motivation. Leaders encourage others to take the actions they need to succeed. Now, there's nothing actually wrong with this definition. It really isn't. It's actually a pretty decent one, but it's also secular. Notice what's missing from it. Any mention of God or Jesus or maybe some of the language we use to describe leadership that we associate with in the Bible, like shepherding or servanthood, that, those kinds of things. And so in doing some of the research for this series, I've tried to kind of piece together and parse together a definition I think we can kind of get behind, so like a scripture. Leadership is guiding others with wisdom, the wisdom and love of Christ in whatever task and role that God has entrusted or called you to. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It's in your notes. Leadership is guiding others with the wisdom and love of Christ in whatever task or role that God has entrusted or called you to. We need both the wisdom and the love of Christ if we're going to lead in a way that honors Him and reflects what we see in Scripture. Let's go and open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. I can barely read that clock in the back. Y'all won't be uh, sad if we end early, right? Nah. Okay, good. We're clipping through this pretty good, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. All right. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Let's read that now. For I am now trying to win the for am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Some translations say servant of Christ. It's a pretty interesting describer of someone who is a leader. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. He describes himself as a slave, as a servant, one who is beneath someone else and owned to, by someone else to some degree. Many times in the Old Testament, the New Testament, a servant was more like an employee-employer kind of relationship many times, okay? Um, but the fact that he refers to himself as a slave of Christ, and he draws this contrast, am I trying to win the favor? Like, who am I doing all this for? Am I doing this so that everybody's going to like me, be happy with me? Or am I doing this because there's an audience of one? Of course, he's doing it for the audience of one. And leading means that we have to trust God. We have to have him in our foremost in front of us, understand our place. In fact, in the Old Testament, when God set up the idea of, when the Israel said, we want a king, we want a king, and you know, Moses, you don't want a king, you don't want a king, trust me, you don't want a king. And then finally they like, want a king, and they beg Samuel for a king. Like, Samuel's like, you don't want a king, trust me on this, you don't want one. They're going to take your sons and daughters, they're going to enslave you, they're going to take everything away from you, they're going to force you to fight in the army, they're going to do all this stuff, they're like, no, we don't care, we still want a king. We don't want to be like everybody else. All right? And so God's like, okay, fine, fine, I'm going to give you a king. But here's the deal, if you're going to have a king, that king has to be 
like the kind of king I want them to be. In true form, God said, listen, your king has to actually be a prince because there's only one king in this relationship, and I'm your king. See, a king typically makes all the laws, right? If you're the king, you make the laws, people have to obey the laws, right? In Israel, the king, well, the, didn't write the laws. Maybe there's some other things they wrote, but the law was already written. So the law was not just for morality. The law was civic as well. The laws were already written. The job of the king, king in Israel was not to really serve as a king, but as a prince, someone who really was a steward of the existing laws and the land that God had given them. Okay? Yes, I'm tempted to make a Lord of the Rings reference, a steward of Gondor, not the true king. Okay, I've got to get at least one Lord of the Rings reference in there. Okay, you're welcome, Thomas. All right. I, you know, I'm just trying to please the people here through my leadership. Yeah. But it really matters a lot if we get stuck in this trap of who our audience is because I, I was a youth pastor a long time ago and at a church, and the pastor at the time, good guy, but he was stuck in this trap of people-pleasing where he so much energy and so much time was consumed with making sure everybody liked him, was happy with him. Part of it had to do with the church organizational structure kind of facilitated that some, which is why good, healthy church governance really matters, <laughs> you know? But it, it just, it, it really just, handicapped him from being able to lead the way that he could be because he was so concerned with what everybody thought about him. And he told me, he was like, he, we actually dialogued about this. Something. He's like, you know, McGinty, you're almost like the opposite. Like you're like not concerned enough. It's <laughs> like, okay, I will take that to heart. <laughs> and uh, it, so it was, it was interesting for me to observe that. Okay. Well, let's go to the lion's share of what we're going to talk about today. And that is how should I lead as a Christian? Now, we're kind of talking big picture stuff here today. Next Wednesday, we'll talk more specifics about some specific case studies we see, specific characters and pieces we see with their leadership and what that looks like. And so how should I lead as a Christian? And before we kind of get to some diagrams and stuff here that you have in your notes, I want to lay down this foundational thought, all right? It's a foundational thought. When I say foundational thought, I mean like the beginning of time, kind of thought. A lot of, we see these trends in Genesis. When something is mentioned in Genesis, it's like a stamp, like this is how things are. God designed it this way right from the beginning. And we see this in Genesis um, chapter 1, uh, verse 28, Genesis chapter 2, 15 and 2, 19, this idea that this, this foundational thought being part of being made in the image of God means leading creation. Okay? Creation, big, big picture. Not just like trees and animals, okay? I'm talking about God designed us as human beings to lead creation, to be active participants in it at a very fundamental level, okay? And you see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he basically says, humans, your job is to subdue the earth, to act in dominion over the earth. All these animals, all these Trees, all these things are here for you. You must steward them. You must take care of them, but you must rule over them as well. You must lead them. You must take charge. We look at verse, chapter 2, verse 15, where he gives Adam a job, this work in the garden. Some translations say cultivate the garden. And it gave him something to do, right? Gave him charge over something. 
And when he brought all the animals to him, he asked him to name all the animals. Of course, he couldn't find anyone who could help him, be a good helper, and so, oh, fine, I'll make you Eve. And that was fun. So right from the beginning, we see that God has designed us to lead creation. We have been commissioned to actively participate in our world for its good and God's glory. We have been commissioned, not suggested, not like highly recommended. It's not like you go to a restaurant and go on Yelp and go, I highly recommend this place, four stars. No, it's commanded, it's commissioned, it's designed for us to actively participate in our world for its good and God's glory. And go to our next thought here. Ultimately, we were not made to be passive pleasure seekers, okay, but active service leaders. Now look at that contrast. Think about what we see around us today. We're told you can be happy if you just seek your own pleasure. And really, pleasure is kind of passive. You can be aggressive about it, whatever it might be, like whatever is fun for you, what makes you happy. Those things are fleeting. Call it whatever you want to, whatever that thing is. Um, but God did not design us to be pleasure seekers, a comfort seekers. It's one of our biggest challenges in our culture is that we live in a very comfortable society, a society that is deeply concerned with our personal comfort. And it's a hard thing about not having, but God has designed us to be active service leaders. And so as we look at that foundation, we're going to break it down what Christian leadership looks like. We've got a diagram for you guys up here. Christian leadership, what does it look like to lead like Christ? What does it look like to lead as I follow Christ? Now, I'm going to break down a lot of these terms and whatnot, and I'm going to use as sort of an example, as we touch base on these different ideas, my role as a volleyball coach. And uh, I, I coached the YMCA volleyball team. My girls were on there, and uh, one of the Zoss kids on there, and it's fun, and it's, it's great. So I'm going to use different examples from that as we unpack what it looks like to lead in a Christian way and all that. So think about your role as we go through these different pieces, as a grandparent, as a parent, as someone in the workplace, as a student perhaps even, or whatever it might be, Think about your role as a husband, as a wife. Um, what role or task that God has given you? Think about how these principles apply to you. And so if we first look at internal beliefs, okay, some of this stuff will be in your, uh, will be on the PowerPoint. The, the key questions will be up on the screen, but the, the main like, points will not be on the screen. So you'll have to actually listen on those. All right, so internal beliefs, if we are to lead like Christ, then we must trust in his teachings, okay? Um, it seems like an obvious thing to say, right? If we're going to really lead, then we must actually believe what Jesus has taught us. It seems like a given, but we have to start there. We have to start there. We can't reverse engineer this thing. If we're to lead like Christ, we must trust in his teachings. The words that we use for trust oftentimes are believe or have faith in, right? If I say I have trust in this pudding to hold me up, I'm going to lean on it, right? How much, lean, how much gravity am I going to put on this, on this sucker, right? If I don't trust in it, I'm not going to lean on it. 
Do we lean into the teachings of Christ? Do we truly trust it enough to, you know, to step on it, not knowing if it's going to be there or not, knowing that it will? And so I want to liken this in the sort of volleyball coach analogy here. Imagine if I went to coach volleyball and I didn't know the rules. Right? Hey, we're going to play this thing called volleyball. I think you have to get it over the net. I'm not so sure how many passes you get or if you're allowed to do a soft touch on a serve receive, which apparently is okay with YMCA volleyball, which drives me nuts, but I'm going to let it go. Okay? Um, <laughs> but it, I coached varsity volleyball years ago when I was a, a Bible teacher and, and whatnot in a Christian school, so it was, it was fun. But you've got to know the rules. You have to know how's the game actually played. If you're going to teach somebody how to play volleyball, then you should probably know how to play volleyball. You should probably know how to actually spike a ball. You should probably know the mechanics of how to set it. You should know how to you know, receive and all those kinds of things, how the footwork. Now, obviously, there's some things I know how to do in volleyball, but I had no idea how to actually like, teach little kids how to do it. Right? And I'll get to that analogy here in, as we get further down to the, to the notes. But you've got to know the rules. I've got to know how to play. And also, it kind of matters if I care about the game. You know, I've coached soccer, I've coached basketball, um, but I will be honest, I've had more fun coaching volleyball because I really care about the game. I love the game of volleyball, especially as it pertains to my girls because I think it's a good sport for them and a good fit for something. And it's fun to watch Hanalei, my oldest, really get into it, you know, to work hard about getting better at it. So you got to know the rules, you should know how to play and care about the game. And so as we look at the, the first one, which is of the internal beliefs, we have to model this. We have to model what this looks like to follow Jesus. So just as there's different kinds of personalities, this is sort of an internal thing, just as there's different kinds of personalities, there's different styles of leadership under that servant-shepherd example we see in Scripture. So servant, ser, servant, servant and shepherd are these examples and big picture ideas of what leadership looks like in the in the Bible, but because we're all unique and all different, we might have a different style of leadership still conforms to those overarching ideas of what it means to have those attitudes that reflect Scripture. And so what kind of leader will I model? Obviously some kind of shepherd and thoughtful leader, someone who is loving and kind and um, a servant, humble attitude, but within that, What's my personality going to be like as I do it? You know, my volleyball coaching style is I get kind of commanderish. I'm not going to lie. I, get, I bust out the whistle. I'm like, all right, line up, everybody. Let's do this. Come on, we're going to do our steps. We're going to get this done. All right, good job on that. Well done. All right, you got to work a little better on this. I'm seeing lazy feet. No lazy feet. Come on, you're not talking. We got to talk. I get kind of, my, my style is kind of commanderish when it comes to Volleyball. There are other volleyball coaches there, and other coaches that might be not quite as sort of direct. They might be kind of just sit there and watch and make some observations and other things later. But I'm a talker. You know, I'm going to give direction right there in the spot. That's my style. But I also like to have fun. You know, we play a game when we do, you know, volleyball. I call it Sonic versus Knuckles. They have two different serving teams, and the balls are like rings. And they, if they miss their serve, they have to go sit down. They get a ring, they come back in. They have fun. I like to have fun. It's part of my style. It's part of my personality. You know, if kids are going to learn a sport, they should have fun while doing it. And then also, I, I, I tend to be, I aspire to be inspirational. I want to encourage and build them up and cheer them on. You know, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader from this side, giving them high fives. And when they do have a good moment, they do something right because I know they've been working hard, I'm going to just, I'm going to be their number one fan. 
But that's my style, right? You may have a different style of leadership and how you influence other people. So internalizing, knowing who you are and modeling that with a still sort of servant and shepherding kind of mindset. A key question we have to ask ourselves with the sort of the modeling, um, sorry, notes are getting ahead of here. Hey, y'all need to go back. Come on, I'm skipping ahead. All right. Um, the key question here is, how does my unique personality and gifting exemplify a servant leader? How does my unique personality and gifting exemplify a servant leader? All right, let's talk about motive. Now we're ready for motive. So we're talking about what kind of model we'll have for our leadership. Motive is this. Christ first loved us. And it is this love that shapes our character and moves us. We must be motivated by the love of Christ. We must be motivated by the love of Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It's a real short verse. I think John would like um, some short verses. John, 1 John 4, 19, he says this very simply. We love because he first loved us. Because Christ has loved us, because he has died for us, because he has sacrificed himself for us and sought us out, we are now enabled and inspired to love other people. It is the love of Christ that should motivate us to lead. There's all kinds of reasons we can have for leading. There's all kinds of motivations we can have for leading. Let's look at our leaders and the politicians. Why is a politician motivated to lead? Well, a lot of reasons. You can get pretty wealthy. You can exert a lot of influence. You might get a good Fox News deal. Who knows, right? Leaders have all kinds of incentives and motives Born to lead. The question is, what is our motive for leading? What is our motive as we try to influence and lead our kids, our grandkids, our, our fellow workplace uh, friends, our neighbors, people we're involved with in the community? It has to be the love of Christ. Period. The love of Christ shapes us and moves us. So we must ask this key question: why do I want to exert influence? over others. What's moving me to do this? What is moving me to exert influence over others? We've got to do a gut check. We have to have this correct motive in place. Now, I, I haven't always served at the YMCA as a coach. The first time I remember stepping up to be a coach for my boys' basketball team, actually, I think it was my girls' basketball team. I won't do five-year-olds and under. I just, God has not equipped me to lead in that capacity, Okay. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be a Jonah about that one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's, the way the YMCA works is sometimes the teams don't have a coach. And they do this awkward thing like, okay, who's going to be the coach this year? And everyone's like, not it. Yeah, not it. <laughs> not going to do it. And finally I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never coached basketball in my life. The last time I played basketball was in eighth grade. And I was not that great at it, okay? I was so short, I couldn't ever get off a shot, so everything was a hook shot. And so, <laughs> um, but I had to learn on my feet and figure it out. But the, my motive for doing it was, well, I need to stand to the gap. No one else is doing it. Someone has to do this. 
Someone has to serve and take care of this team, and no one else is stepping up to do it. I should do this and serve my community. And I found that as I do this more, my motivation, one, I would you know, coach my kids, which is fun, but it's very rewarding and fulfilling to see kids who may not ever, a lot of times they've never touched a volleyball in their life. They, you know, they join the team and they, they grow so much, and they learn so much. It's very rewarding to see that. The hard work pays off and these kids have learned something. But it also has afforded me the ability to connect with people, invite them to church things. You know, as, as their coach, I've been pouring into their kids and been taking care of them and serving them. I've earned the right to say, hey, would you come to our Harvest Festival? Hey, we got sports camp coming on. You'll love to come and actually hand out invitations and stuff to do it. If I was not their coach, I don't think I'd feel comfortable doing that. But because I have served them, I've stepped into their community and I have really tried to take care of the kids and teach them something, it affords me those opportunities. And so when we step out to lead, it creates opportunities for us to share the love of Christ. And considering those things is something I want to challenge you all to think about today. Um, and so as we move on to the next part of this sort of Christian leadership deal, now as we, as a, if we're going to be a wise leader, we've talked about our internal beliefs, and then we need to talk about our external behaviors. We we'll start on the inside and move on to the outside. So we look at our external behaviors. If we truly trust Christ's teachings, then our actions will reflect it, right? If I truly trust this podium, my actions of leaning on it will reflect my true trust in it, okay? You can gauge how much someone trusts somebody, but how much they're willing to do for them or do with them, right? If I, uh, I don't have my wallet on me, but if I did have my wallet on me, let's say my phone, that's actually worse than my wallet, okay? Because it has my wallet on it and everything else. Let's say I had no password on this at all, okay? Would I give this to a stranger? Would I give this to Thomas? Maybe. <laughs> Would I give this to my wife? Would I give this to my kids? No way! <laughs> Unless I'm right there with them and they're like watching something to, you know, as a reward or whatever. But yeah, we, to the degree that we trust, to the degree we'll fall through with action, Right? How much do we trust Jesus? How much do we trust his teachings and our actions will reflect that? Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man produces good out of the storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the, the evil storeroom. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, this verse is fairly famous. It seems kind of simple, right? You do bad things, you'll probably, it's probably because there's bad things going on in your heart. You do good things, there's probably some good things going on in your heart, right? But it's kind of that simple, right? What we have going on in our attitudes and hearts, that will be reflected in our actions, whether we're aware of it or not. When I was back on that mission trip, I wasn't aware that my, my attitudes were being reflected in my actions. I had no idea. No idea that I was being despondent, I was being cynical, and I was kind of not being very caring or thoughtful around these high school students. But it took a friend to hold a mirror up and show me, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Inside. I can see your attitudes. We all can 
We can all see what's going on in there. And it's very sobering. You know, in a volleyball, in a volleyball game, I kind of get into it. I do. There's, there's some coaches who are just like, will just stand there and not like do anything. I don't know how they do that. I'm like cheering for them. I'm like giving instruction. I'm like, hey, why don't you move over here a little bit? Or you're standing behind somebody. It's not a great idea. Like, good job. Awesome. You got this. You know, like I'm probably more like louder than all the rest of the, the people there. That's part of my style. But I mean, I'm into it. I'm into it, right? Because it matters to me. Because I'm passionate about it. It's, it's overflowing out of my heart. You're seeing it in my words. You're seeing it in my actions. Because I'm into the game. I'm passionate about it. So we talk about our manners, right? We're talking about external behaviors, manners. We engage with others as precious people. So in your notes, we engage with others as precious people whom God loves. Okay? This is how we need to engage with other people, giving them respect with our words and, and acts of service. So out of the overflow of what Christ has done in us, we respect the people around us. We treat them as the precious people that they are to God. And let's be honest, there are people at our workplace that annoy the bananas out of us. Okay? There are neighbors we have that don't turn the music down when we like them to turn the music down. There are leaders we don't like that we might make jokes about and you know, maybe it's fair game, I don't know. But every person is precious in God's sight. Every person is precious. And to have that perspective, we have to treat people that way. God loves all of them and give them our respect. So this is the manner in which people see this overflow. If we're filled with the love of Christ, then this organically is spilled out in the way that we talk to our coworkers, the way we talk to our kids. And I'll be honest, there are days where I do not talk to my kids out of the overflow of love for Christ. There's times where I'm impatient. There's times where I'm annoyed. And I have to go back and apologize. Like, you know what? Daddy shouldn't have raised his voice. I'm sorry I wasn't more patient with you. It's a little crazy in here right now. Let's have a talk. You know? But by doing that, we're showing respect to our kids. We're modeling it. We're not going to be perfect. Not, God has not called us to be perfect. He's called us to be humble, which means we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be failed. But when we do, let's seek his forgiveness and seek the forgiveness of those we have maybe not done the best by. And so it's a good reminder, especially as parents. It's, it's hard because when you're at home with your kids, hey, there's no one else seeing that. No one else sees how you treat them. It is only God that sees what we do. And we held accountable to that and challenged that it matters. The way we treat and talk to our kids, our grandkids, it communicates who Christ is. And so we have to ask us this difficult question, how would I like to be treated if the roles were reversed? Would I want to have someone talk about me in such a way in the workplace? Probably not. Would I... Want to be yelled at, like maybe yell at our kids. But I want to, you know, maybe not give my grandkids the time that they maybe deserve just because I'm tired. I don't know. How would you like to be treated if the roles were reversed? We have to sometimes put ourselves in someone else's shoes. When I coach volleyball, 
I try to encourage the players as much as possible. I try to treat the ref with respect. Even though they make some calls, I'm kind of like, do you know how to keep score? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, uh, I think we just lost that game because the ref wasn't paying attention. Um, I try to listen to questions from kids. I sometimes have kids in, on the volleyball team that ask a lot of questions. And I'm like, um, let's just put a pin in that and talk about it after the game, you know? I try to consider ideas from parents. You know, in the middle of coaching, a parent's like, hey, why don't we try doing this? Okay, that's a good idea. Let's try that and see how it goes. And it's not always easy, you know? I'm in the mode. I'm in the zone. I'm coaching. And to be gentle with injuries. My, my personality is this. Someone gets hurt, and I know they're not really hurt. My personality is this, okay? Suck it up. <laughs> All right? Like, come on. That ain't that bad. I don't see any blood. You're good. That, that, that joint's still bending the way that it was before, okay? Um, and so I had to, like, dial that down. You know, we were playing practice the other day, and a little girl, and she's super tender, she got beamed right in the head by a volleyball. Granted, she wasn't paying attention. If she had been, it wouldn't have happened. And, um, you know, so the sort of judgmental attitude of me, the sort of like hardcore, I'm like, well, that's what you get for not paying attention, you know? I'm like, all right, sweetie. You know, it was actually the other, like one of the parents actually hit her in the head. It wasn't me, by the way. So, <clears throat> and he felt really bad. He walked up and was like, are you okay? I'm like, she's okay. Um, like, all right, you're going to be brave. You're going to be, you can do this. All right. Hey, everybody give her a hand. Let's go back and play. You know, to be gentle when people are going through something difficult, to encourage people, engage the people, this kind of love. So lastly, we want to look at methods. Now, this is more practical. If, if the manner is sort of the more squishy parts that may kind of have to feel our way through a little bit and more have to do with the heart, Methodology has to do more with the mind. We need to plan and program using practical knowledge. If we're going to lead, it's got the rubber has to meet the road. Right? We have to actually do some things and be intentional about what we do. So we need to plan and program using practical knowledge available to you. Now, granted, all this has to be filtered through the mind of Christ. It has to be filtered through the mind of Christ and sound sound stewardship. And so there's all kinds of resources available. So if you want to lead your grandkids, you're like, well, I don't know what kind of questions to ask them. I don't know how to maybe activities I could do. There's research out there. There's, there's activities out there. Be intentional. Find something to do with them. Learn what they like to do and engage with them on that level. If you're a parent, hey, I got some discipline issues with this particular kid. I don't know what to do. There's books. There's great Christian authors. There's helpful videos out there on what to engage with. There's other parents who've dealt with similar kids too. You can ask questions. We're like, hey, what did you do when your kid did this? You know? How do we teach through that? How do we discipline that? These are questions that we can figure out. You want to reach your neighbors? Be like, I'm not so sure what to do. Figure out what they like. To build a conversation, to build a bridge. We've got to plan and think through some things if we're going to lead well with some practical knowledge filtered through the mind of Christ. There's all kinds of knowledge out there, right? All kinds of facts, ideas, but we have to filter them through the mind of Christ, through Scripture that we have readily available to us, through principles that have been laid out through His Word. And so the key question we want to ask here is, am I being a good steward of the time and resources available to me? If I'm going to lead in the capacity and the task that God's given me, Am I being a good steward of the time he's given me? 
Am I utilizing what's been given to me well? Am I, there's resources available to me. Am I, am, I, am I taking advantage of that? And am I evaluating them through the principles of God's Word when I do? You know, when I started coaching volleyball, I, I mean, I had coached varsity volleyball before, but I never coached eight and nine-year-olds before. I had no idea how to coach eight and nine-year-olds. So what do I do? I get on the Googles. Hey, Google, how do you teach volleyball to eight and nine-year-olds? And there's all kinds of articles and videos and stuff, right? Like, hey, that's a good video. That's a good game I can incorporate and play and modify. Uh, or, you know, I don't think our kids are quite ready for that one. Yeah, I'll try this different drill instead. And there's all kinds of resources out there. If I'm going to try and teach the, the, the volleyball team how to do something, I, have, I repeat things often, right? The, the, a good teacher knows if you're going to teach anybody anything, you have to repeat it over and over again until they say it in their sleep, right? If we're going to lead the people we have influence on, there might be some things we need to repeat and, and in a good and healthy way, not in an annoying way, obviously. And so I have, when I coach, I have McGinty-isms. Just like as parents, you have like your parent and your favorite sayings, you know, go before you go, okay? Um, obey now, not later, or slow to obey is disobey, my personal favorite. Um, but when I coach... There's things I repeat, like, hey, a team that talks is a team that wins, all right? Call your ball. Don't just stare at each other and assume the other person's going to get it. Talk it out, right? If we practice hard, we're going to play good, all right? If we goof off in practice, you're not going to play well. I want to have intentionality when I lead and to think that through. I want to also seek advice. I remember when I first started coaching the, the, the girls' basketball team, I didn't know what to do, and I Talked to Chris Gary, who did upward sports. I was like, hey, Chris, you've coached little kids basketball for what do you do? He's like, and he's like, oh, you can do this barn door thing where you get kids lined up and you let a player come down. Like, that sounds way too complicated. We're like, that's like that's like complicated math. We need like one plus one, okay? And uh, but I saw that advice. Fair what to do. When we started coaching another season here with volleyball, there was stuff that we needed. Like, you know what? People are tripping on balls. Things are going haywire. And I talked to the athletic director. said, we need a ball hopper. A what? Yeah, a ball hopper. They put all the balls in so people aren't tripping on the balls and they're all not running everywhere so we can use it for better practice and be better for games. So I petitioned them to do that, sent them some links to Amazon to buy it, and did some research. And we now have a ball hopper at the YMCA for volleyball, and it's a great use for us practice and for drills and games and whatnot. The point of all this is I want to encourage you if we're going to exert influence in a way that honors Christ and the tasks and roles that God has given you, seek out resources. There's plenty. If you don't know how to do it well, there's people who can advise you. There might be some resources you can take advantage to do it well. You want to share the gospel with your neighbor, like, I don't know how to do it. Maybe there's some training videos on how to share the gospel with somebody. You know, let's say you... Someone came to you from a Mormon church asking you questions about what you believe. Like, I don't know what Mormons believe. I don't know how to communicate what I believe with the difference. Get on the Googles. Find a good article. Talk to one of his pastors. Hey, how do I communicate the gospel to someone who's Mormon? My neighbor it, you know, believes in weird theology. How do I do that? There's resources out there. There's stuff readily available. We have to be intentional about that. We have to find a method to do this. And so that, but it requires a stewardship of our time and intentionality from us. Okay, well, next Wednesday, we're going to tackle these other questions here. We're going to go to the next slide. 
So we covered how should I lead as a Christian. We'll tackle those last three questions. What kinds of leadership does the Bible portray? There's different styles we see, and different personalities we actually see in, in Scripture. So what lessons in leadership do we see in biblical characters? As we talk about leadership, we're going to look at some particular case studies, like what did Paul learn as a leader? What, did jo- what can we learn from Joshua as a leader? What are some things he, he did that we can really pay attention to? And lastly, who can I encourage to lead? One of the things that God has called us to as leaders, as fellow followers, Christ followers make more followers. If we're a true disciple of Christ, God's favorite math is multiplication. Okay, God's favorite math is multiplication. In other words, we need to make more of us, more people that love Jesus. And we can only do that if we seek out somebody else we can lead and mentor and encourage and disciple. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids, maybe it's a coworker that's younger than you you could have some influence and share some wisdom with, even help them in some practical ways, learn the ropes, earn their respect to speak deeper truths into their life. So that we'll tackle that some next Wednesday. But for tonight, we're going to close it out. I'm going to pray us out. Dear Heavenly Father, your goodness knows no bounds. And we appreciate your generosity to us, the depth of your love for us. And we just ask that you open our eyes to the opportunities we have to make a difference in those around us to lead them towards you. Let us not shy away from that, no matter what our personality is, whether we're an extrovert or an introvert, whether we like talking to people, whether we don't like talking to people, whatever our bent and personality is, God, I show you, we ask that you would show us how we can lead others to you. You have planted us in a particular place, so may we flourish where you have planted us so others see your fruit fruit of your spirit working and moving in us, love that cannot be explained, respect that treats others well even when disrespected. May we shine in a way that honors you. We pray this in your holy and wonderful and beautiful name. Amen.